in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. He wasn't just sharing a meal with those young men that he had gathered together to do life with him, but he was giving them a glimpse into what was about to happen. His body being broken for all of them, for all of us. And so as he broke the bread and shared it, he, he encouraged them to make this a, a ritual, make this a tradition. Not that the bread itself holds any spiritual power, but he gave them this idea that when you get together and you break bread together, remember that this signifies what I have done. That I'm not just the son of God who wishes you well and tells you some encouraging stories and wants you to be nice to each other. But I am the son of God whose body is about to be broken as a sacrifice for all of your sins. Make that the focal point of this ritual and this tradition. So, as we get ready to share these wafers that we have, and if you are joining us from home, whatever it is you have gotten to do, as we share this together, we do this to remember, they don't have any over there? Can we? Over here in the corner. That's why I pre-opened mine, because the last time I did this, it added about 15 minutes to the service as everybody watched me try to wrestle it open up here. So people thought there was some sort of, people thought the video had frozen. No, I was just standing still trying to wrestle the thing open, so... It is, it is in there. So as, as you have your wafers, you have your element, whatever it is, if you're at home, if you are with us this morning, as we take this together, let us remember that this is not just ritual, not just tradition, but this represents what Christ did for us. Let's take Lord, we can't even imagine the physical pain that you went through as you were tortured, the physical pain that you endured as you were on the cross. And Lord, I can't even imagine the love that it takes to take all of that upon you for me and for my sins, for the sins of the entire world. You were hurt and you were broken. So, Lord, as, as we share this together, it is not just a church thing we do, but it is a celebration of what you endured for us. Lord, we just pray this in your son's name. Amen. And in verse 25, after the same manner also, he took the cup. And when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. 
in the same way, as he passed the cup, they had wine at that time, as he passed that around, he encouraged them to think of this as his blood, not in some gruesome way, but to think of his blood that was spilled. Because often the tradition was to get into heaven, you had to make a sacrifice. You had to spill the blood of some innocent creature to atone for your sins. And he's letting them know, my blood, my innocent blood is going to be spilled for each one of you. And it was spilled for each of us. So as we do this, let's take this together. Lord, we are so thankful for what you did on the cross. We are so thankful for the Easter morning resurrection when the tomb was empty. Because, Lord, without those, what we celebrate this time of the year is meaningless. The fact that you took that burden upon yourself, the fact that you resurrected, the fact that you have given us a way to join you in eternal life. That makes celebrating your birth so worth it. That you came to live among us. Lord, we are so thankful for this. Your son's name we celebrate. Amen. So as we talk this morning, this is the this is the season to talk about gifts, I believe. And I want to clarify, I'm talking about a, an actual gift that's given to somebody. I told somebody earlier this week that I was going to preach on gifts, and they thought I was going to maybe preach on spiritual gifts, and, and that's, that's not what this is about this morning. But the gifts, and this time of the year, we, we picture the gifts piled up under the tree, we picture all the shopping. If you have been to any sort of a store lately, I'm sure you have seen the crush and felt the rush of all of the people that are out. Uh, we were at Walmart yesterday afternoon, and, and it, was, it was pretty chaotic. And that's this time of the year as we have this focus. Now, gifts are really fun to get when you're a kid. You remember that, that thrill of getting something to unwrap? And that mystery of you don't know what it is, but you're excited because you are hopeful that it is something you are going to want. We remember that, that thrill of getting a gift. As you get older, that wears off a little bit. It's still nice to get stuff, but we don't look forward to the getting as much as we did when we were kids. But one of the transitions you make as you grow older is you begin to appreciate giving somebody something. And in fact, there's a, a certain satisfaction to, to shopping for or, or making something for somebody. Finding that exact thing that you know or you hope that they are going to like. I can remember experiencing that when I was a kid in elementary school. They would do a, a, I don't know what they called it, some sort of Santa's workshop or something where they would bring in all these, all these things and, and mom and dad would give you money and you'd go to school and you could buy gifts for people. And, I mean, it's actually, if you think about it, it's actually kind of a scam because my mom and dad would give me money to go to school to buy stuff for them. And nothing that I ever bought there was really, was really that great. 
In fact, from the time I was in kindergarten until I was about in fifth grade, every year for Christmas, my dad got the exact same little pocket screwdriver because they didn't have a lot of, a lot of gift selection for dads, ties or pocket screwdrivers. And uh, my dad wore ties to work, but he wore clip-on ties to work because he worked around a lot of machinery. So they didn't have any clip-on ties, so he got a pocket screwdriver every year, over and over and over again. And I can remember as a little kid, the thrill of him holding that on Christmas morning, and he's unwrapping it, and he's enthusiastic about it, and he's shaking it, and he's trying to guess what it is. And I, I look back now as an adult, and he knew exactly what it was, because it was the same pocket screwdriver he's been getting for four or five years now. But I remember that thrill of picking that out, and then he's getting that. So, so giving gifts becomes becomes kind of fun. I am I am talking about gifts. I am wearing you can't see it, but under here I've got my, one of my favorite T-shirts on. A gift I got earlier this year from one of the students in our student ministry. It's a black T-shirt. It says "Wooden Soup Wooden Spoon Survivor" on it, and that's because she vividly remembered me telling stories of my childhood where my grandmother wielded a wooden spoon as a uh, as a corrective form of of discipline. And uh, my mom also, that was passed on down to her, and, and that's a that's an inheritance we have in our family. My mom could also uh, fling that spoon around pretty good. So I am a wooden spoon survivor. I am also wearing, some of you have noticed this morning, I've got socks on for the first time in I don't know how many weeks, and the socks have a uh, sandal design on them. So if I'm walking around in, in just my socks, it looks like they kind of have like uh, cartoon sandals on my feet. And uh, I got those earlier this week. Amazon brought those to the door. And that's a gift from a former student who just sent a note and said, I saw these in the store and immediately thought of you. So these are for you. And now I've also got, and I'm preaching out of this morning, a King James Bible. My uncle gave me this a few years ago. This belonged to my great grandfather. This was his personal Bible. So I've, I've got the King James with me this morning. It's not often we preach out of King James, but we are this morning. So those, those gifts that we give, the more, the more thought you put into a gift, the more you see something and you think, oh, I know who I got to get this for. This is exactly for, you know, that, that person. Sometimes we see something and it almost feels like it just jumps right into our hands, that this is what we've got to get. The, the more that we feel that connection to a gift that I know who is going to like it, the more disappointing it's going to be if you give it to them and they just kind of respond with indifference, if they don't even care, if they don't like it, if it's not something that is that is that excites them, that is useful to them, that could be kind of disappointing to put your all into something and then they don't even care about it. And, and an equal sadness is gifts that just go completely unclaimed. When I think of Christmas gifts, I remember several years ago doing a, a home visit to somebody in our church who had had their 17-year-old daughter had died in a car accident on Christmas Eve. And a couple of weeks later, in the beginning of January, just did a, did a visit, and I was just spending some time with the parents, and, and I didn't have any magic words of comfort. Who could in that moment? And we're in the living room, and they still had their Christmas tree up. And I remember looking and seeing all of her unopened gifts still piled up under the tree. And, and that is going to visually stick with me for the rest of my life. Those, those gifts that she never had a chance to claim. 
And as the family looked at that and, and had that memory, that's something that's just going to stick with me. Gifts unclaimed, gifts that are rejected, gifts that aren't used. This is kind of the sad part of, of Christmas. And we don't ever talk about that. Hallmark doesn't make any commercials to put on television about unclaimed gifts or gifts that aren't used. Go ahead and buy this for your dad. He's going to hate it. They don't, they don't use that as, as an advertising gimmick. And some gifts, of course, have a time limit. Have you ever, am I the only one in here who's ever had a gift card that you've been carrying around or holding for a special occasion and it's expired? Did you ever go to use it and realize, well, wait a minute, this thing expired three years ago. I guess I'm paying for this meal. That is that has happened. And when that happens to me, I always when I get a gift card, I always think I'm gonna save it for something special. I'm not just gonna go and get lunch. I'm gonna save this for like a special lunch. Well then I save stuff so long that it ends up running out. And then I feel bad because not only have I missed out, but I feel bad for the person who gave this to me. They don't even know, but they spent money on something that I never used, and it makes me feel horrible. My wife is now in charge of all the gift cards and she makes sure she's even got an app on her phone that tells you when they're going to expire. So, which is, you know, I mean, we kind of laugh, but I mean, that's kind of cool. More than once, my wife has said to me, hey, you know, we better go to Texas Roadhouse sometime in the next two weeks because we got a gift card that's getting ready to expire. That is not a bad way to come home and hear that news. That's kind of an exciting deal. <laughs> but sometimes gifts do have an expiration date. I'm sure we've all heard the story about the 17-year-old who desperately wanted a car. And his grandfather was pretty wealthy, and his grandfather used, had, had bought cars for some of his cousins. So as his 17th birthday approached, he was, he was anxious to get a car, desperate to get a car, certain he was going to get a car. And on his 17th birthday, he, he opens a box from his grandfather, and in it is a Bible. And he tried hard to not act disappointed because he wanted a car. And his grandfather said to him, I want you to read Luke chapter 2 about the greatest gift of all time. And the kid was kind of disappointed and he took the Bible home and he threw it on the dresser and he never really touched it. And a couple of months later, his grandfather passed away. And at his grandfather's funeral, a guy that had worked with his grandfather came up to him and said, you enjoying that car? And he's like, I didn't get a car when it was my birthday. He, he gave me a Bible. And the guy says, well, have you been reading that Bible? Well, no, I've got to confess. I just kind of put it on the dresser and I haven't been touching it. And, the, grand, and the, the, the grandfather's friend said to him, son, you need to go home and you need to get into the Gospel of Luke and you need to read that. So the kid, after the funeral, gets home and he opens that Bible to Luke chapter 2. And in there, he finds a letter from his grandfather that talks about the gift of Jesus and then includes a key and lets him know that he has paid for a car that they are holding for him for 90 days of the dealership. And the kid realizes that that was about four months ago and he has, has missed out on that car by a couple of weeks. And, and with great sadness and with no real evil in that kid's heart, just disappointment, this great gift expired because he didn't make use of it. So I want to talk this morning just really quick about the, the greatest and most thoughtful gift that was ever given. I want us to think about what happens 
when we leave this greatest gift unopened and unused, when we just ignore it, or when we take it like that Bible and just kind of throw it to the side and I'm glad I got it, but I don't plan on making use of it. And then I want to consider the consequences of what happens when, when this gift expires and we've just let it go. So we are looking this morning at just one verse, and it is not necessarily a Christmas verse, but I know that you all know it by heart. John 3.16. And if you don't know it, today's a great time to memorize it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, or everlasting life, is what the King James says. And I want to look at that verse this morning and kind of break down what does that mean for us in the concept of gifts. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God. God, the most powerful being in the universe, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of all, the king of kings, so loved, loved completely, totally, unselfishly, a kind of love that we cannot even fathom, a kind of love that never diminishes, even on those days when I do everything I can to make it diminish, it doesn't. And you've had days like that where you are pretty unlovable, not just down here on earth, but pretty unlovable to God, and it doesn't diminish, does it? So the, the king of the universe loved us so totally and completely and unselfishly, this love that we can't comprehend, this love that we can never undo, God so loved the world. Now the world, it's easy to think of the world in like this abstract thing. It's like, it's like a million or a billion. We just, it's big and we just kind of accept that, but we don't spend any time dwelling on that. But think about for a moment, the world, everybody. God loved everybody. Everybody. Now think about that because that doesn't just include unlovable you. It includes unlovable me. And it includes all those people that I have a hard time loving. It includes everybody on the planet. People with all different skin colors. People of, of all different nations. People all throughout time. People who root for the Cleveland Browns. People who love God and, and live to serve him. People who don't love God. People who don't know God. People who are angry at God. People who don't even believe in God. All over the world, of every age, from a newborn infant to somebody 100 years old, that is included in the world. Those two words, the world means everybody. For God so loved the world, the most powerful being in the universe, completely and totally loved everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave, free of charge. He gave this gift, no strings attached, no, no fine print. Have you ever gotten a gift from somebody and there were kind of strings attached to it? Somebody gives you something, and then, then you find out sometimes pretty quick that there's, there's a little bit of a, well, as, as long as you're going to enjoy that, 
I need you to, to do something for me. No strings attached. No, no small print. Nothing in there. No like hidden things, hidden fees. Nothing that's going to cause it to void itself if you don't use it exactly right in the way that, that he handed it to you. He gave free of charge his that he gave his. Something that belonged to him and was highly personal. Not something that he picked up out of the, the, the dollar rack at Walmart. Not something he found at a garage sale. Not something that he just happened to have an extra one laying around the garage. Not something that somebody had given to him and he didn't really like, so he's going to kind of re-gift it and pass it along. Not something that he likes, but he's got two of them, so I, I might as well give one to Brother Tom because I can only use one. He gave his only, the only one he had. He didn't have dozens of children. Sometimes I get to know parents that have multiple kids, and they're almost kind of, they're always joking, but they're almost kind of like, hey, you want to take one of them home with you? Or two of them? Three of them? How many do you want? I'll take them out to the car for you and get them strapped in. They're, they're, they're anxious to cut the noise level at home. He wasn't looking to give away one of many children that he had. He wasn't looking to make it just get a little quieter in heaven and we can get Jesus out of here for a little while. He gave his only begotten. Now what does begotten mean? Something that labor went into. Something that work went into. This is a gift that he spent some time crafting. This wasn't something easy that he had. This was something that he put a lot of thought and energy and heart into. If you are a parent in this room, then you know what it is like to have children. And the work and the toil that goes into that. I'm not just talking about childbirth, but I'm talking about raising kids. And, and how much work and sometimes heartache that goes into that. If you are a parent, you have wanted to put hands on a child in violence at some time. If you have been a child and you remember your parents, everybody in here can think back to a time where you think, you know, they probably ought to have killed me for what I did, and they didn't. I, I, I look back at a lot of narrow escapes I had in my childhood. Times that, that I look back and I think, if my dad would have killed me, nobody would have held him accountable. They'd have looked at, at the dead body of me and looked at what I did and they'd have said to my dad, he had that coming. There's a lot that goes into having a child. His only begotten son. His child. Not just of him, but him. And that's something that's hard for us to understand, even hard for parents to understand. But as a parent, you understand that your child isn't just from you, but that child is sort of you. I can't tell you how many parents I've talked to who are completely frustrated with the attitude and mouth and, and, and actions of their teenager. And then they look at me and they say, it's just like I was when I was that age. I hear a lot of parents in the room kind of can identify with that. And then as you get older, you find yourself doing and saying the things your parents did and you wonder what's the matter with you. 
But this was, this was of him. This was his child. This was him. His only son. He so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever... Now that is us. This is different from the whole world because that whosoever believeth. So out of the whole world, those who believe. Not the whole world. Because God cannot be in the presence of sin. When God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, he walked with two people who were sinless. And then once they had sinned, they hid from him. He could not be in their presence. We can't go into heaven as we are right now because God can't be in our presence. He can't be in the presence of sin. So he can't just say, I'll let Jesus die and then the whole world gets to come to heaven. Do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. You don't have to believe because the gate's wide open for everybody. He can't do that because if everybody comes in, he can't be there. He can't be in the presence of sin. We have to be sinless to be near him. The problem is none of us are sinless and none of us can do anything to get ourselves that way. Whosoever believeth, whoever accepts what Christ did. And this is what ties Christmas to Easter in an unbreakable way. Those, those two holidays, they go together. They're not together on the calendar. When I was a kid, I loved Christmas, and I wasn't that crazy about Easter. We got toys at Christmas. We never got any toys for Easter. We didn't get an Easter basket full of candy or an Easter basket full of toys in our house. I was raised Catholic. You know what Easter meant for me? Easter meant for me a super long Christmas service, or, or church service, I mean. So we got up on Easter Sunday, and we went to church, and church was like an hour and a half. And it was long, and it was hot. Because you had to dress up. So you're sitting there in a dress shirt and it's hot and it's long. And it's, I wasn't crazy about Easter, but Christmas, I just loved Christmas. But for us, for those of us who know Jesus, those two things are so tied together. Because the cross can't happen if we don't accept that that's God who was birthed and, and was among us. And that, that story in the manger and the wise men and the nativity and, and all of the, the kind of religious Christmas stuff that we celebrate, none of that means anything if we don't understand what happened on the cross. If we don't understand that that cute little baby was God's son and that cute little baby was going to grow up into a sinless man who took my punishment for me on the cross... None of that Christmas stuff means anything. Whether it's the religious Christmas stuff or just the worldly Christmas stuff. And some of that worldly Christmas stuff is just horrible and we should flee from it. A lot of it's okay. Get together with family and have a turkey or having ham. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with a couple days off of work. Nothing wrong with putting gifts under the tree. It's fun to watch little kids open gifts. Nothing wrong with buying stuff for the people you love. Nothing wrong about that. But if it's not done underneath the cross, then it's just worldly stuff we're celebrating. It's not hurting anybody, but it doesn't mean anything. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish. 
We've got to acknowledge and we've got to believe what he did so that we can be sinless. Once we believe that and once we are sinless, we don't have to worry about death. Anybody in here worried about death? Come on, let's be honest. Anybody in here want to die? I don't want to. I remember Pastor David a couple years ago stood up here and he said, I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of being dead. I'm afraid of dying and I'm afraid of some of the pain and some of the fear that can come with that. And, and that's, how, that's how I am. I think that's how we are. We're not looking forward to that. But we know that after that, there's nothing to fear. We don't just go into the ground and become worm food. We know that on the other side of that, we are with God. And that is something so amazing, we can't even imagine it right now. We can't even describe what it might be right now. We should not perish, but we will have this gift if we take it. If we don't, if we just take this, this thing that God did for us, and say, okay, sounds good. Jesus hung on the cross for me. I can, I can go to heaven. That sounds like a pretty good deal. I'm going to take that gift and I'm going to set it aside and I'll open it later. And I believe most of us know somebody whose intention is to get serious about God later. I'm going to get to it later. I'll open it up later. I'll use it later. But this gift is given so that we can open it, so that we can use it right now to have everlasting life, life forever in heaven. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's the greatest gift ever given. God sent his son to live among us. And that's because God loved us so much. Through the entire Old Testament, you can read over and over and over again how humanity made these deals with God and then we screwed it up because we went backwards on our word, because we let sin creep into our lives, because we took our eyes off of God and got our eyes onto other stuff over and over and over. And God could have looked at that and God could have said, you know what? They're never going to get it. And since they're never going to get it, I might as well just push the reset button and be done with it. <coughs> send another flood. Send a big meteor. Send whatever. Just end it. Because they're not going to get it. And look, the reality is, we're not going to get it. Every one of us in here has, has given our lives to Christ and then screwed up in some sort of way that puts us back on our knees saying, you know, God, I messed that up. Again, some of us are, are doing that on a weekly basis or a daily basis. Some of us on kind of an hourly deal here. It's almost nonstop. We're down on our knees begging for forgiveness, and while we're down there, we're getting into some sort of sin while we're there. This gift was given, and it was, it was tremendous, and it was amazing, and he put all this thought into it, and he put this thought into it, because he recognized that we weren't ever going to stop screwing it up. And he said, I've got a way to fix this. I'm going to send my son 
and my son will spill his blood and my son will be broken and that will be the permanent sacrifice the last sacrifice needed they will accept that and then they can spend eternity in heaven and they can accept that and have eternity in heaven coming and they can still kind of screw up and then come back to me because their screw up doesn't undo what my son did Anybody really glad you got that gift without that expiration date, without that fine print that says, Mark, I love you. You can come into heaven. Just don't ever sin again. I got saved on August 15th of 1992. And by August 16th of 1992, I probably sinned 25 times. That fine print isn't there. What a great gift. But what happens... If we don't use it. If you know Jesus. And you have that gift in your life. What happens if you're not sharing it with other people? It's not a rhetorical question. We can actually participate. Right now. If we're like, what happens if we're not sharing it with other They're not hearing about Jesus right? I mean they out there. The world. They're only going to hear about Jesus. If somebody tells them. Well who's the somebody who's supposed to be telling them? It's us. It is so unfair for us to get this great gift and say, I love this. This is the best thing I ever got. And then take it home and stick it in the dresser drawer and never use it. That doesn't show that we think it was the best thing we ever got. That's not showing anybody else that we're excited about it. Have you ever met somebody and you were surprised to find out that they were a Christian? Has anybody ever spent time with you and then they were surprised to find out that you were a Christian? How many born-again believers loved that gift and they never used it? They never shared their faith. And when I say share your faith, you might actually open the Bible with a non-believer and walk through what salvation means. It might just mean that you love the unlovable. It might just mean that you take love your neighbor really seriously. It might just mean that you act different than the world. And sometimes the way that looks to the world is people will come up to you and, what's the matter with you? Why are you, why are you like this? I love it when people say that to me because it gives me a chance to tell them why I'm like that. I'm like that because of Jesus. Not because anything great inside of me. I'm like that because i got a great Savior. What are the consequences when we, when we let that expire? I'm not talking about the, the gift card that you let expire. If you're in here, I'm looking around the room, I think everybody in here knows who Jesus is. But what happens when the people in your life that they're kind of almost serious about their faith and they're going to kind of get serious someday when they're done having fun? What happens when we let them let that expire? What happens when we don't have that sense of urgency to speak into somebody's life? What happens when I say, you know, Tom's just not there spiritually and he kind of wants to be and I, I want him to be and I hope he figures it out. And then I leave it at that. 
That's not what I'm called to do. I am called to get next to Brother Tom and say, let me tell you something awesome, brother. Let me show you something. I can't save him. Only God can do that. But he's not going to form a connection with God if nobody ever tells him about God. For the record, I do believe that Brother Tom is a born-again Christian. I'm just using him as an example because he's sitting there smiling at me. He's got his mask on, but I'm, I'm pretending there's a big smile under there. So, What happens if we just let people let that expire? We don't make them become urgent about church. We don't act like church and salvation and Jesus is important to us. And, and boy, that's hard in this year because this year it's been pretty hard to be serious about church when you can't go to church. Right? It's been really hard to be serious about fellowship when you can't have fellowship. But a lot of y'all found a way to have fellowship, even though you couldn't have fellowship. A lot of y'all found a way to have church, even though we couldn't have church. I'm so thankful for the technology that allowed us to keep connecting together. And it, it's not the same. We miss you. If you're watching from home, we miss you. We can't wait till, till things are back to normal or more normal or less normal. or We can't wait till we're all back together. But that technology is so wonderful because it lets us have that connection with people that otherwise couldn't be here. But we need to work to find a way for that to happen. Because sometimes in that work, we are showing people, we are encouraging people who don't know him to see what that's like. So many people who are unbelievers a year ago, some of whom are still unbelievers right now, they witnessed faith over this past year in ways that you can't even imagine. Sitting out on the front porch taking communion with, with saltines and Gatorade. There's a great conversation with the neighbors. The heck are you guys doing? We're having communion. Communion on your porch? It's an open door for a great conversation. Non-believers saw us this year react to a, a, a horrible situation in a way that showed them our faith is important. We cannot let this gift expire. I can't think of anything sadder than standing at somebody's funeral and thinking, I wish I'd shared Christ with them. I was going to. I was going to. And then I didn't, and now it's too late. So this Christmas season... As we do all the gifts and all the caroling and all of the, the, the Christmas stuff. And this season is just like the rest of 2020. It's so weird because we're doing all that stuff in new ways. But as we're doing that stuff, and or as we're watching the world participating in it enthusiastically. And sometimes Christmas is hard for believers because we watch the world chasing that stuff so hard. And we think only they knew Jesus then they'd still be chasing it, but they could chase it with real joy. As we go through all of that, what is the gift we are the most thankful for? What is the gift we talk about the most? What is the gift we use the most? What is the gift that I got that I love so much that I want every one of you to get one as well? And I want you to have one. 
and I don't care what it costs. You gotta go and get one of these because it's the best thing that ever happened to me. How are we doing with the greatest gift that God ever gave us with that? So I'm going to close in prayer. What I'd like to challenge you to do, where you are right now, if you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus, I would like you to pray for them this morning, and I would like you to bravely pray for an opportunity for you to share your faith with them. Now hold on for a minute, because if you earnestly ask God for an opportunity to share your faith, He's going to give it to you. And he's probably not going to give it to you at the most convenient time for you. But he's going to give it to you at the most convenient time for him. And that means you're going to have to be brave. And that means you're going to have to be faithful. And that means you're going to have to work on some of these fruit of the spirits that we've been preaching on for the last six years, it feels like, up here to get through those. But I want you to think this morning, if you have got the name in your head of an unsaved person, just anybody, raise your hand, show me you've got an unsaved person you're thinking of. If you don't know any unsaved people, you need to go out and meet some unsaved people because trust me, there's three or four in the community at least. Lord, as we think of those people who don't know you, and this time of the year filled with so much worldly joy, as we think of the people who don't know you, as we think of the people that don't have that joy, they've just got the worldly part. Lord, I pray you will give us opportunities to share Christ this week. I pray that over the coming days, that greatest gift we have ever received will be something that we just can't shut up about. Something that we just can't stop using and talking about and showing to everybody. Lord, I pray that transforming the world around us will be a burden that we feel in our hearts in the weeks and months to come. And that what we celebrate happening when you were born, when you were in the manger that we will recognize what a powerful mm -hmm. gift that was and how it transformed our lives and how we need to use it to transform the lives of those around us. Lord, I pray as many of us enter what is going to be a busy week that we stay so focused on you that the stuff we're busiest with is you. Because Lord, nothing else we're doing this week matters if you are not in the middle of it. Lord, I pray for a great Christmas season for the, for the, the children in our church. I pray for joy and fun and laughter for the parents in our church, for the grandparents in our church. I pray for great uplifting and encouraging fellowship and, and family connections this time of the year, whether that's happening over a phone call or a text message or a socially distant visit. But Lord, I pray most of all that we realize our lives have expiration dates.
and that putting you on hold to focus on other stuff is, is, is just not worth it. We need to put that stuff on hold and have you be the burden of our lives. Lord, I just pray this in your son's name. Amen.